You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. This is a photo I really wanted to show because this is Kalen. Um, and Kalen met Jesus this, this winter in, in March it was. And she met Jesus and Jesus has gotten a hold of her. And she is so excited about the gospel that she is telling all of her friends at school. She is telling anyone who will listen about Jesus. She came to me and asked me if it would be all right if she could get up in front of 60 of her peers at our teens church and share the bridge diagram, which is a gospel illustration, with all of our teens. And I was like, well, of course. And so this is her sharing the gospel with 60 teens. And that is a beautiful thing. She worked at our camp this summer telling kids about Jesus. And I'm so proud of her because she is following after Jesus, which is the biggest and best thing. Um, Some of my other guys, I had the privilege of being at camp with them um, just a little over a week ago and sitting around the campfire with them and praying as Tyson became a Christian for the first time and Christian became a Christian well, or recommitted his life to Christ. And it's exciting sitting with them and talking with them and seeing them grasp the gospel. And so I wanted to give you that little bit of an update on, on where things are at. It's been a really good year. Um, there's been a lot of really good things happening. It's also been a hard year, though, I will be honest. Um, this year pushed me personally farther um, in, in my faith and in my trust in God than any year before it. Um, this year, a couple of times, I've had the, the challenge and I would almost say privilege of being called upon to intervene in several domestic incidents. Um, just in February, I had a knock at my door at about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night um, and had one of the, the boys from down the street who knows me through LBE at my door in nothing but basketball shorts, no shoes, no shirt, in a panic. And he came to the door and he just said, come quick, Jeff is hitting my mom. And so I grabbed my phone, I grabbed my coat, and I ran down the street with him. I could hear his younger brothers crying. I got into the house and there were mom and this man wrestling in the kitchen. And I called 911 and got him out of the house and was able to to sit with the family Um, and be with them and comfort them, get her cleaned up. Um, And it was a terrifying night. I didn't realize how much the adrenaline was flowing through me until after he had left the house and after the police had come and I was left shaking. But I I felt so fortunate that God had put me in my neighborhood and put me in a place where this kid trusted me And I was able to make a difference. And so it's been a hard year because I have seen things this year that I have not seen in my previous years at LBE. As kids are trusting me more and more, they're opening up about stuff, about the realities of their home lives, about the situations they are raised in. And it is heartbreaking. And so I would ask you to pray for for me and for LBE um, in the coming weeks. We're gearing up for the fall again soon. We're wrapping up our summer programs. it's, it's an exciting fall. God is doing cool things. 
When I, when I started at LVE, we had 25 to 35 kids at a teen's church on a Wednesday night. And this last year, we were between 50 and 60, and we were peaking at 80. Because we are just getting to convey the gospel. I, I joke that we run one of the most boring youth groups in the world because all we do is play one game and then we teach and we worship. And we teach the gospel and kids come. And it's to the point where we're grow, we've grown to the point where this year we've been running, we've been running Bible studies on, the, on Wednesday nights as well. And we're at the point where this year, we, last year we ran one Bible study. This year we're probably going to be running four or five Bible studies. Because we have kids and leaders who are committed and who are wanting to dig deeper into their relationships. It's exciting at LBE. And it's exciting because of the gospel. It's exciting because Jesus is real, because Jesus lived and died to take the place of our punishment. He died for our sins. He died for their sins. And that news transforms. And that is the news of Titus today. And so I want to pray uh, we're going to be looking at Titus 2 afterwards. So pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for how you transform. I thank you for how you have given me the privilege of seeing you work this year. And I pray that this morning you would work still through our passage today. That your truth would ring clear. And that your truth would do what your truth does. And that it would transform us. In your name I pray. Amen. I will also encourage you, Dan, keep up with the amens. I like the feedback. It's good. It's good. I'm used to my teens just blurting stuff out, and so a little bit of feedback is appreciated. If you guys want to stand with me as we read God's Word today, it's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. I really, I feel fortunate to get this passage. This passage in particular excites me in Titus um, over, over what has come before. Um, and it's it's partially because of the relationship between Paul and Titus. We've gotten into it a little bit in the past couple weeks, but the relationship between Paul and Titus in this letter is, is a unique one in the New Testament in many ways. 
where most of the New Testament scriptures that we have, most of the writings we have, fall into one of two categories. They either fall into historical documents, they fall into the Gospels and Acts, which tell the story of Jesus and the early church, or they fall into letters to churches, largely written by Paul. Titus is a letter from one person to another person. It is a letter from Paul, who was a prominent church leader, for those of you who are new, to Titus, one of his disciples. And it gives us a glimpse into their relationship. It gives us a glimpse into what the early church was like. And it lets us see some interesting things. One, one of the things that I love is how the letter opens up with Paul referring to Titus as his spiritual son. So right off the hop, we know that they're, they are close. As best we can tell, Titus was actually led to Christ by Paul, um, as best we can tell. And that Titus followed Paul as an assistant and interpreter for, for much of his, the, Titus's beginning in ministry. Um, Titus then, from what we can gather, he was a fairly organized individual, which I'm a little jealous of. He had good administrative skills. From the roles he was given, we see that Paul sends him into Corinth to deal with some issues that are happening in the church in Corinth, which we read about in Corinthians. We then see that he is, that he is left in Crete, which is where this letter catches up with him. And Titus, who is a man who is tactful and godly and organized, is coming to the island of Crete. And as Doug mentioned last week, and as Paul mentions in chapter 1, Crete did not have the best reputation. When Paul uses the language of they are liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons, Pretty, pretty clear how Paul feels and what the reputation that Crete has is. And so Titus is sent into this environment and he is tasked with several things. He is tasked with providing training for leaders and equipping leaders to lead in the regional churches on the island. He is charged also with dealing with some of the attitudes and false doctrine, the, the false teaching that is cropping up as people are trying to find their own way to do their Jesus thing in the way they like. Sounds fairly similar to our culture today, of people taking Jesus and this, or Jesus and that, and going to add things in to make Jesus a little more easy to follow and comfortable. And so I can imagine, it's not in the scripture, but it's not a hard stretch to feel that Titus was probably a little frustrated at this point as Paul writes to him. And I can imagine Titus's shoulders slumping a little bit with each sentence he reads of this letter that he has gotten from his mentor as he is told to hold the Cretans to this standard over and over again in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the beginning of chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 that Doug went through last week is this list of standards. It's this code of conduct for Christians. It goes through older men, older women, younger men, younger women, slaves, and gives a long list of items of how Christians are to behave. And I can imagine Titus reading it going, oh man, you, you want me to have them here? 
but they're here. How am I supposed to get them from here to here? It doesn't add up. And then we come to our passage today. And our passage today is the answer of how you get from here to here. And that answer is always Jesus. It's a good Sunday school answer. You know, one in doubt, God, Jesus, Moses. Good. <laughs> and so, that is the answer. And it's great. It's, it's the thing of, the, I love the first half of Titus, and I love the first half of chapter 2, because the law that, it is, that is given there is so valuable to us. So often, um, I think that in, our, in, in modern evangelical circles, the law gets a little bit demonized. The, the role of rules and regulations gets a little bit demonized, and we put a lot of emphasis on God's grace, and we leave out the law. But as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't wipe away the law, he actually intensified it. And so when in the Sermon on the Mount he got up to preach, Jesus didn't say, you know, don't murder. He said, don't even think about it because that's the same thing. When he said, don't commit adultery, he said, don't even think about it because that's the same thing. He moved it from an act to a heart state, and the law got intensified. And here we have the law again at the, in, chap, in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2. And it's, it's demoralizing. It's... It's heavy. Justin Holcomb, um, who I put the quote for his definition of grace in your handout, which I love, also has a definition for law, and it is, or has a, has a description of law, and it is this. The law is a mirror. It reflects to us our problem, our condition, our need, and our death. The law is good because it shows us reality. Like a mirror... The law shows us our problem. But a mirror can't change what it shows us. It reflects our problem but can't fix it. The law cannot generate what it commands. When applied to sin, the law curses us with judgment. The reality is, for the Cretans and for Titus, as they were looking at verses 1 to 10, they were looking at the curse of judgment, at a standard that was so high, it may as well have been unattainable. And it's, it's the one, there's one of two reactions we can have to that, to that law being held up to us as we see our sin, as we see our imperfection reflected in the standards God has for us. There's one of two, two reactions. One is despair. One is to say, I can't do it. There's no way. And the other is self-righteousness. And when I look at our world, our world has chosen in so many circles to say that I can do this on my own apart from God. I can gain this level of perfection on my own apart from God. And it leads to self-righteousness. I look at our world today and it's an oversimplification perhaps but self-righteousness the belief that they are superior to all others and that their way that they have decided on themselves is the best 
I think, plays a role in what is happening in the Middle East and in Iraq. I think that so much of our world religion is, is geared towards saying that we can do it on our own. And it's not true. We can't reach perfection on our own. We just can't. We are sinful. It would be like the boy from my street who came to my door in nothing but his basketball shorts saying, you know what? I can get, to per- I can get help. I can get saved. You know, Mark will save me. He will come to the rescue if I dress in a suit and maybe bring some flowers and, you know, maybe write him a poem or a song. Then, then he will come. And we get this idea in our head that we can save ourselves and we can somehow earn our place in God's good graces on our own. And we can't. But thankfully, there is the next part of chapter 2, which is, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. This is where Dan should be given a hallelujah. (laughs) For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Jesus has come. And it says, as we read this, that he is the one who teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Jesus is the one who brings about that transformation in us. The fancy word for it is sanctification. And as Jesus is sanctifying us, he works in us and with us to do what we cannot do on our own, to make us holy. By his death on the cross, by his burial and resurrection, as he defeated death and took the place for our sin, he enables us to go where we could not go on our own, which is into the presence of God. He wraps himself around us to protect us from the blazing perfection of, Jesus, or of God. And it sometimes takes time. I think of Christian, who I mentioned earlier, who recommitted his life this last week at camp. I was sitting with him having a burrito just two days ago, and, and we were talking. And I had met him through our lunch club program, and we were, we were, I was just hanging out and talking with him over the burrito, and he was telling me a bit about his story. And I had never really gotten it before. But he told me about his junior high years, and he told me about grade 8, the year before we met him. And he said to me, he's like, you know what? I was so depressed. I was suicidal, I was thinking about it, and I was smoking pot all the time. And he told me this. And I had no idea. Because when he came to us, he seemed pretty put together on the outside compared to some of our kids. But he was at the lowest of the low, he said. And he came with some friends to our lunch program. And he was working, or he was joining us pretty much every single time. Some kids would come maybe once a week, or we'd see him once every you know, two weeks or whatever. But he was there pretty much every week. 
And he told me, he's like, grade nine was the year it really started to turn around. You know, I, I, I stopped needing pot to numb what was going on inside of me. I found community at LBE. He didn't say it quite like that. He's like, you know, you guys at LBE were pretty awesome, was basically how he put it. But he found community at LBE. And he heard the gospel at LBE from my coworkers and from those around him who were, were good influences. And it began the journey of him coming back to Christ. And that's sometimes how sanctification works. Is it takes a bit of time. It's not the instant cure that we maybe all would love sometimes. Sometimes God works that way. But a lot of times it takes time. And it's the thing of, it says here, it, he te- the, the grace of God teaches us. It doesn't say taught us. It doesn't say will teach. It's a current and it's an action. As we spend time with Jesus, he forms us. One thing I forgot to mention is this whole passage is one sentence in the original Greek. And the grace of God is the center of that sentence. In everything that this sentence is talking about, the grace of God is at the core. And and like I was saying... Our sanctification happens when we're fixed on Jesus. I think of Deshaun, one of our kids. He's going into grade four this year. He has some developmental issues. He will sometimes fight anything that moves, but a lot of the time he's a really sweet boy. But with his developmental issues, he has some challenges. And we were at a Cinnaboyan Park this spring, and we were doing a picnic and we were, you know, handing out hot dogs. And he had had his, his allotment of hot dogs. We didn't have more hot dogs to give. Otherwise, I would have given him more hot dogs. But he really, really wanted a hot dog. And he was getting kind of angry. He was trying to sneak a hot dog. He was working every angle. He really, really wanted that hot dog. And then one of my co-leaders came along. I was manning the booth, so I couldn't really, like, you know, get away. One of my co-leaders came along, and was just like, Deshaun! Let's go play a game! And I kid you not, it was a light switch flip in the kid. He went from, I want a hot to, game? And he was gone. When he was focused on the right thing, He had a great time. When he was focused on the wrong thing, it was a spiral for him. When he focused on the right thing, though, he had a great time. And it was fun seeing him, like, running two seconds later, like, being chased by a leader, and he was having a blast. And that's a reminder to us that when our attention is on the right thing, on Jesus... That's when sanctification happens. When we are trying to do it on our own, when we are trying to be good enough to go to Jesus first, you know, I'm going to get my, my stuff sorted out, I will get everything in place, and then I will go to Jesus. That's when we, we miss the mark. When we go to Jesus first, that is when 
he is there waiting and wanting to give his grace and salvation and transform us. Because it's the thing of Jesus redeems us and purifies us and then we grow in godliness. It's not the other way around. Like I've said, pretty much every world religion says you got to do this list of stuff to get perfect and then God will accept you. Where Jesus says, come to me, I will accept you and then I will make you perfect. In verse 14, it echoes that. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself. He is the one doing the action there. A people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I see it all the time, working with my kids. You ask them to do something that they don't want to do, and you will get that much of, of what you really are hoping for. Parents, you can probably attest to this when you ask your kid to clean something or, or deal with some mess or help with dinner or whatever, and they don't want to do it, they will do it barely. But when Jesus gets a hold of us, that's when it becomes joy to serve. It becomes joy to do good. Because in doing that, as, as verse, verses 1 to 10 talked about, when we do that, we bring glory to God. The so that Doug went through last week. So that no one will malign the word of God. So that the glory of God will be shown. All of those things. When we get to do good works, it's because we get to bring God glory and point glory to him. And it becomes a joy for us. The, the discipleship continuum piece that is this week is that idea of moving from doing things out of obligation to doing things because we get to. It's moving from service to servanthood and that posture of I get to do this because Jesus has saved me and I want everyone to know. Because Jesus wants to purify for himself a people for his very own eager to do what is good. And finally, in verse 15, we get a few marching orders that tie up all of chapter 2. These things then you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with authority and do not let anyone despise you. We are given the list that we are supposed to teach not only the law, the standard that we must reach, but also the grace that makes it possible for us to get there. We are called to provide the mirror and we are called to point to Jesus and his gospel and how his grace makes it possible for the despair that we can feel in the mirror to be turned into God's glory. We're called to teach that to our children, to our co-workers, to our friends. We are called to that.
And we're called to encourage and rebuke with all authority. Paul gives Timothy, this is a little bit of an aside, this one verse is very, very intimately towards Timothy. Because Timothy was coming into Crete. He was younger, not probably, or sorry, Titus was coming into. He's not as young as Timothy, perhaps, from what we can tell. But he was still a fairly young guy. And to, to maybe poke a little hole in Doug's thing last week, Doug talked about 50 being the line for older men. A lot of my research said 40. So feel free to rip him about that when he's back from vacation. He's not here to defend himself. But Paul says, you know what? You are my disciple. I am an apostle who is under the Holy Spirit and under Jesus. We have authority to say these things, to speak the truth of the gospel, to hold the mirror up of the law. So do it. And this verse here, the final, the final sentence is, do not let anyone despise you. But a better word is disregard, I feel. The, there's, there's a couple different translations of the Greek word that gets translated as despise. And disregard, I feel, is a slightly more accurate word um, from what I've been able to tell studying. It, because it, and I feel it's also more of the heart of what Paul was getting at. Because so often, myself I know, I will go and I will say, oh, maybe I shouldn't. I don't, I don't want to be too pushy. I don't, I don't want to come across as one of those Christian wingnuts or, or whatever. But Paul exhorts, he encourages Titus to not be afraid of that. You have all authority. And as you live your life on this island with these people, and as you are being sanctified, let that sanctification show. Wear it proudly. Because or so that the glory of God will be shown. Wear that sanctification proudly so that the glory of God will be shown. So my, my challenge to you as you wrestle between the law and the grace, and, and grace of God this week is to know that his grace is more than enough to cover everything you see in that mirror of the law. Know that his grace is greater than anything that is being held up to you in the mirror of the law. And that he wants to come, he wants to bring salvation to you. For those of you who have accepted that salvation, know that it's not your own work that's going to get you to perfection. It's sticking close to Jesus and letting him transform you that will. And then, go boldly. Wherever you go, be it work, be it home, be it the cottage, be it wherever, and let the sanctification that Jesus is working in you show and bring the gospel wherever you go. Bring that grace wherever you go so that more people would know 
our amazing God, Jesus, and the salvation that he brings. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so, so much that you came to this earth not for, for fun, but to save. That you did it to make it possible for us to know you and to know our Heavenly Father. I thank you that you lived and died for that and that you rose again conquering death and conquering sin. I pray for all of us that we would grasp more deeply your grace this coming week. That we would know the power and transformation it brings. If it's for the first time or if it's a reminder after many years. God, let your grace transform us and let that show to the world. Use us to bring you glory and to further the cause of your gospel this week. In your name I pray. Amen.